This is Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Henrik Falconer, who is the Director of Gynecologic Oncology and Department of Women's and Children's Health at Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. Welcome, Henrik. Thank you very much. So the topic of uh, this discussion today is going to be focused on your trial, the, the RAC trial, the robot-assisted approach to cervical cancer. And obviously, this is uh, an incredibly relevant topic. Uh, as we know, over the last um, year or so, there has been a significant amount of discussion regarding the surgical management of early stage uh, cervical cancer. Um, we are very aware of the results of the, of the LAC trial, um, showing uh, uh, certainly that there was uh, increased uh, recurrence rates and uh, worse disease-free survival for patients undergoing minimally invasive radical hysterectomy. So obviously as a follow-up to that randomized trial, um, you have developed the, the RAC trial. So could you just tell us uh, regarding what was the impetus behind um, another prospective uh, randomized trial, um, specifically evaluating uh, robotic radical hysterectomy versus the open approach? Yeah, uh, thanks. I mean, uh, we, we, uh, as a consequence of, uh, of the LAG trial, we have, uh, we have ended up in a situation that pretty much nobody expected 18 months ago. I was one of them that truly believed that the LAG trial would either be closed due to slow accrual or if it was ever completed, would only show what everybody was kind of expecting. You know, based on the lab two trial, the LACE trial, I think you know everybody was expecting this trial to be negative, to show no difference between open surgery and minimally invasive surgery for cervical cancer. But it didn't, uh, as we all know. And uh, during the, the past year, 18 months, we have already debated this now, yeah, hundreds of times already. And uh, to me, it's clear that we have a couple of options now, that either we, either we accept the lag trial as it is, and we, we stop doing uh, laparoscopic surgery or robotic surgery for cervical cancer, or we, we continue. And by continue, I mean we should, in, in my opinion, I think it's not enough with one trial to completely change practice. There are numerous examples from other areas in our specialty, such as ovarian cancer, and, and where we've had trials that we can learn from. We can learn from this trial, and uh, I think we need another trial to confirm or dismiss the results from the LAG trial. Now, in terms of looking at robotic surgery uh, specifically, and not minimally invasive surgery in general, uh, at least if looking where, where I come from, from Scandinavia, we never, we never implemented conventional laparoscopy for radical hysterectomy for several reasons, I think. In my opinion, I think a conventional lap for, for cervical cancer is a very difficult procedure. So it was never implemented in Scandinavia and in many parts of, of Europe at least and probably US as well. So currently, when we look now 10, 11, 12 years after the LAG trial was initiated, maybe the LAG trial doesn't really reflect what's happening in many parts of the world. Uh, 
you know, robotic surgery is just an evolution of, of conventional lab. It's still laparoscopy, but it's, it's, uh, it's different. So we would like the, the follow-up trial after the lag trial to more reflect what's happening right now, especially in Northern Europe. But I, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced there's gonna be, this is, this is the next, next step in, in minimal invasive surgery for sure. So this is why we've chosen to just look at robotic surgery versus laparotomy for cervical cancer uh, again. So Henrik, one of the things that uh, I was interested in is, um, you know, obviously, um, although there hasn't been uh, a complete change over to the uh, open approach, there's an increasing trend in, in particularly in many countries to, to already uh, change the, the, the standard approach to, to the open approach. Um, and I was interested in, in learning uh, what was the process of having uh, approval from the ethics committee, um, knowing the data from the LAC trial, knowing the, the subsequent studies that have supported the, the results of the LAC trial, and recently seen the, the change in the NCCN guidelines to recommend the open approach. Um, if you can tell us a little bit about um, what, what was the process and, and, and also I would be interested in, in discussing what is your uh, consent process with your patients. Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I mean, uh, clearly, if if we all thought that the lack trial was the perfect trial, you know, we we no flaws at all, we should accept it directly, you know, and and and, and make a complete change. But clearly, there's no such thing, you know. Even the lack trial was, you know, was beautifully designed. Of course, we'll find things that we think is, you know, worth looking into in detail, and um, uh, so so I I support the idea of of not doing minimal invasive surgery for cervical cancer outside a new trial, because up until the LAC trial, we didn't have any, you know, uh, high quality evidence supporting what we were doing. And that's only natural because we need to gain the experience. To, we need to master the, the the techniques before we can evaluate it. Now we have it. We need to act on it. So, in my opinion, we should be doing open surgery for cervical cancer unless we do new trial. So that was the that was the uh, uh, basis for, for for doing this new trial. And in regards to the ethical aspects, well. You, you know the process. We, we have written a protocol, it's been published in the journal, and this is pretty much what we present to our ethical review board. So they are presented with our protocol, and it's up to them to judge whether this is ethical or not. We have tried to balance in the protocol the results from the LAG trial and other, other studies as well, balance them with data that we have from, you know, from Sweden. We have a recently published paper showing that at least in Sweden we did not see in a population-based setting the same results as in the LAC trial. The same things have been reported from Denmark. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a randomized controlled trial but still we have something real-world data showing something different and I think if we hadn't been able to show that from Sweden, Denmark, clearly there's been no, no basis for, for a new trial. But now we have it, and I think that's that's been the balance. So whether that has to do with a different technology, you know, robotic surgery instead of a mix, 
or if it's uh, you know, centralization or proficiency of surgeons, we don't know that. But that was the balance. So there were, we were having data um, supporting or at least not showing any difference. And we had a data from, from Melamed, we had the MAC trial. So that was the balance. And apparently, you know, our, our ethical review board, they thought that this was ethical. And, and we, as surgeons, we need to go to ourselves as well. Do we think it is ethical at this point to randomize our women with cervical cancer to open surgery or robotic surgery? We need to ask ourselves that, I, I guess, you know. And, and uh, to me, again, if the lag trial was being completely without any flaws, I wouldn't do this. So now let's get on to talking about the, the trial, the RAC trial. Yeah. Um, mm. Tell us about the, the trial design. I'm particularly interested in uh, the primary objective, of course, and then some yeah. of the secondary mm. objectives. And um, just to tell our audience, uh, what is the total number of patients uh, right. that you're anticipating? Yeah, so, so the idea, I mean, the, 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 there, there's no coincidence that we call the, the RAC trial the RAC trial. It's, it's the trial that follows on the LAC trial. So it's, it's pretty much a copy of the lag trial. So we have the same primary endpoint, recurrence-free survival, which is pretty much the same as disease-free survival. That's the primary endpoint, and that was the basis for the sample size uh, calculation. We ended up with pretty much the same number uh, as in the lag trial. So we are looking at 768 women. Uh, and that's, again, you know, looking at pretty much the same uh, non-inferiority margin. So we, we consider in this trial robotic surgery to be experimental and uh, open surgery as the control arm. You have to do that in a non-inferiority trial. Anything else would make sense. So how much can it differ? So in the lag trial it was 7%. We have used the same margin in the RAC trial. And that together with our uh, anticipated recurrence-free survival and 80% power ended up in, a, in a, a sample size of 768 women, which was pretty much exactly the same as in the LAC trial. For secondary endpoints, it's the same. So it's gonna be overall survival, it's gonna be morbidity, quality of life using validated instruments, not the same as in the LAC trial, but I don't think it matters. Looking at the central lymph node concept again, but this, this trial is going to be for green and designing green and uh, healthcare costs as well. So it's, it's the same endpoints. So there, there, this has been done on purpose because we want to be able later on, perhaps, to compare the data with the lag trial. So we don't want to change too much from the lag trial. The lag trial is good. So thank you, Henrik. Uh, let me ask you, do you have an interim analysis that is built into the study? Yes, we do have an interim analysis. That's going to happen. That's going to occur either after 50% uh, accrual or after three years from, from uh, the launch of the trial, whichever happens first, and they might coincide as well. So at that point, we'll have an ind independent uh, group of people looking into any unexpected adverse outcomes, deviating significantly from the protocol, and uh, of course looking at accrual. I don't know what else they might be looking at. I don't think that after three years or 50% they will be able to do any you know, 
looking at archaeological outcomes at that point, but you never know. It's up to them. We don't control that. They will then make a recommendation whether to continue the trial or to stop it you know, due to either slow accrual or anything else that you know, unexpectedly happens. So that's going to happen and that's clearly critical for the trial. So one of the things that obviously has been a highly uh, discussed, debated, contested topic is um, surgeon proficiency. Yeah. Um, so mm -hmm. uh, one of the obvious questions is how will you assure proper uh, surgeon selection and how will you assure proper patient selection? Yeah, that is, I guess, you know, the, the question for, um, for any trial looking at interventions procedural interventions, how do you know that the operators in the trial are proficient? So in the lag trial, uh, videos were, were sent in for review, and that's, that's one way of doing it. And uh, we have discussed how do, how do we know whether our, our surgeons or the surgeons that participate in the trial are proficient. We don't think that we can sit as, as a steering committee to judge whether a surgeon from one institution will perform a radical hysterectomy the correct way, because what is the correct way? I mean, it, it's, to me, that's, it doesn't really make sense to me. I think the RAC trial or any trial should reflect reality as it is, because if we create a, a study-specific situation that deviates too much from what's happening in most institutions, well, then the results are not going to be we can we can we cannot they're not going to be generalized for for all where where most women are treated. So in the RAC trial, we want to have institutions that have <clears throat> robotic surgery as part of their clinical practice for solar cancer for at least three years. Now that's arbitrarily chosen. Could be debated whether that's enough or not. We have a couple of other things that need to be met, such as having at least 100 cases of robotic surgery per year, and uh, we should surely have some, some, some indicator for open surgery as well. So the idea is that we want to have centers with robotic surgery as standard of care for, for quite some time. It's got to be implemented. We want to we have surgeons in their early learning curve. So that's the idea. And, um, yeah, so, so it's, it's a volume-based uh, inclusion criteria here. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, you mentioned in the trial design the primary secondary objectives. What are some of the inclusion and the exclusion criteria? Yeah, again, that's going to be pretty similar to the LAG trial. We don't have uh, women with stage 1A tumors, so it's going to be only 1B2. Yeah, the new FIGO system is, mm -hmm. is, is confusing here, but <laughs> so it's going to be one beak tumors less than four centimeters. We'll accept two A1s as well. So no 1A um, cervical cancers. That's, that's uh, the, the main inclusion criteria. It's going to be the common histologies. We don't want to have newer endocrine tumors, so it's going to be the squamous adenocarcinomas and, and mixed. Um, Apart from that, 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 that's, that those are the, the main inclusion criteria for the trial. We want to exclude patients with, with the rare histologies, of course, any signs on the imaging of disseminated disease, 
women that can't withstand uh, trend, trend over position, pregnant women, previously radiant women, previous cancers, except for really early stages of breast cancer and skin cancer. Um, women that are allergic to iodine can't participate in the sentinel lymph node part of the trial. They can, however, be randomized for the primary endpoint. And then, Eric, you mentioned um, imaging. Uh, do you have a requirement as to whether patients need to have either a CAT scan or an MRI or, or a PET-CT? Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, that's also been discussed and debated. And uh, so, in the, the, the inclusion criteria, we, we say that we want to have women included with FIGO stage 1B. So how you do that, that's, that's really up to, to uh, the institution to decide. You know, there are institutions that have excellent ultrasound capabilities or, or institutions with MRI or a PET scan. This shouldn't, in, in our opinion, it shouldn't deviate from what people do ordinarily. They should be staged according to FIGO. That's the thing. Okay. We expect that most will have MRI or, or, or uh, ultrasound to determine the size of the tumor, parametrial invasion, but it's not you know, in the protocol. So one of the next questions I wanted to ask you is optimizing accrual. And obviously given the recent, uh, what you can call change in practice to open surgery at many sites, or often patients already have this perception and know uh, of the fact that um, there are potentially inferior outcomes in minimally invasive surgery. Others obviously claiming the declining rates of cervical cancer. Um, many centers are, are frankly considered low volume centers. And the fact that where there is a lot of cervical cancer, there are no robots. So how will you optimize accrual given all of those uh, ad adversities? Yeah, and it's, it's clearly, it's one of the uh, uh, critical questions. We uh, we're in a different, very different situation than than you, than you guys in the lag trial uh, in two thousand eight. At that time, uh, the interest to to contribute with patients to randomize them to either MIS or open surgery wasn't that high. Now we have a completely different situation. I think. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of surgeons out there, they realize that unless they put their patients into a trial, they need to stop doing uh, robotic surgery for cervical cancer. And that, that means that we, we see a massive interest. So, so we, we, we published a protocol, I think it was in May or something, and we get requests or, or questions regarding the trial pretty much every week. And, that, and they come from all over the world, which, is, which I really enjoy. So uh, the situation is, is dramatically different. So we already have more than 20 sites that have expressed a sincere interest to join. Most of these centers have already submitted their quality assessment forms, documentations. So we're looking at having, I hope and expect to have more than 10 or 15 sites active this year. So, and looking at if we look at the 20 sites that have expressed an interest, they, they, they treat something like four or 500 patients a year. Again, we're targeting 
high volume centers. If we can have the same uh, inclusion as in the lag trial, I think that was something like 50% of screen patients, then, uh, then we could potentially uh, recruit the re re required number of patients in three or four years. That's, that's of course the ideal situation. I guess everybody's hoping for that when you start a trial. I do think that's, that's not unrealistic. And I think we have to have that kind of speed in this trial. We can't have another 10-year trial, then this trial most likely will become obsolete. So I think the time is of essence, speed is of essence in this trial. So as a follow-up to that, when do you anticipate, just to give our, our audience a, a general sense of study completion with full follow-up data? Yeah, so in the protocol we, we have estimated a five-year accrual with another two to three years of follow-up. Now looking at the interest so far, it has already exceeded our, our, our expectations. So I think we're, we're, we're looking at three to four years and with an additional two years of, of follow-up. So we'll see. It's going to be also up to the interim analysis to look at when we can have mature data. Uh, so best case scenario would be five to six years. Okay. And then Eric, how can, for sites that are interested but don't know yet how to get involved, um, where, where can they find this information? Yes, so we, uh, we try to be active uh, in, in terms of we have, we have a, a published protocol again in, in the journal uh, and we have a website, it's uh, racktrial.org. On the website we have, there's the protocol, we have some instructional videos on the central lymph nodes and there's all contact information for, to me or, or to the trial organization. So visit the website or uh, you know, anybody's absolutely free to contact me at any time and I'll be happy to, to answer that rapidly. Henrik, it's, it's been a, a pleasure uh, talking to you about this really important study. Um, any closing remarks you want to make? Yeah, we're, I mean the, these are interesting times right now and, and uh, I, I guess we'll still be debating the results in the lag trial for another, another years to come. But I think we, we, again, we need to make a decision. We, we, can't, we can't just debate this, we need to do something. So either we make a decision to stop doing this or, or we take it to the next step and, and we try to, to, uh, to run a new trial to see if we can uh, find something else from that. Well, Henrik, thank you so much. I congratulate you and I certainly wish you the best of luck on the RAC trial. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you, Peter.